Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Good morning, Baltimore. Good to have you. You can turn to John chapter 2. I'm Josh's parole officer. Josh is sick today with the flu, for those of you that don't know me. Uh, I'm his dad, and uh, I haven't taught here for about three years. Go figure, you moon a few people, and you can't let that get. Because um, I've been very sick, but now I'm getting a little bit better. My wife has stopped beating me. And, uh, and uh, this is the first time in three years I've spoken to some of you. Now, I started this church about uh, 37, 38 years ago. Uh, with her, my wife, uh, who just has to have some attention. And, uh, and uh, you clearly you can see it was a mistake. No, I'm just teasing you. Uh, I, it's just all these faces in here. It's really just a thrill to see you guys. Now, I've been teaching a little bit off to the side. And, uh, you know, the, this, is, this is different for me, uh, just looking at you from this end. And it's frightening. It's very frightening. So if you can turn to John chapter one, I mean, now don't let, yeah, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Mother says I should be in the moving pictures. Mm. Uh, On the side of your your song sheet, you have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant uh, and the tabernacle. We're gonna look at that a little bit today, but just it's gonna be mixed in with more practical teaching. So we'll be in John chapter 1, if you want to turn there. And uh, since I don't have any notes, I would appreciate somebody giving me something. Uh, you know, but it's, uh, I'll make stuff up. You see if it's true or not. Let's see what we got here. John chapter 1. <laughs> one of the things you have to understand about John's gospel that separates it from uh, the rest of the Gospels, is it's a cosmic gospel. It deals with the whole universe. It starts off with the logic, the logos, the word, the purpose of the universe becoming made flesh and dwelling with us, tabernacling with mankind. And so there's a strong emphasis in John on pictures of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Everything in the Bible tells us is about Jesus. And the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant uh, are very detailed pictures of Christ. So I think it's good to look at that along with some of these other pictures. Let's take a look at John uh, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then in verse 14, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt, or in some cases, it says tabernacled among us. Okay, this is a God of love, we're told. And love desires to be known. And so in his creation, the first thing that came from eternal goodness was light was God revealing himself because he wants us to know who he is. 
giving us the ability of understanding the depth of who he is. And so these words are God beginning to say, I want you to know me. I'm sending you light into your soul so that you can comprehend the depths of who I am. And then, of course, he sends Jesus, which is the ultimate expression of a triune God who gives himself away. Remember when he created in Genesis, it says that the spirit who was part of that trinity hovered over the void. It was, it was dark. It was darkness. And here is a picture of a self-offering God that stoops to the darkest of the dark to make it alive, to make it good, to just shine light and reveal everything about him. You see, he desires that relationship. And if you're here this morning and you're just dating God and you're not married to him, I suggest that you take it another step and get serious about your walk with him. Hi, Cassie, you comfortable? Okay, don't stick any lollipops in mommy's hair. All right, so here we go. So in the incarnation, and especially in the Mount of Transfiguration, God and Jesus is turning himself inside out so he can show himself to his disciples. They go up on a mountain, he shines, Peter typically says something stupid. God says, shut up, Peter. Listen to my son. He knows what's going on. And so Jesus becomes a visible representation of the invisible God. Then as he leaves, he sends the Holy Spirit into us, and we become a visible representation of the invisible God. The person next to you has the fire, the spirit of God within him. So be nice to them. Okay, and so we look at this thing here, and as we find in God creating, he is fundamentally looking forward to the consummation of his purpose, which is uniting heaven and earth. When God stooped to this planet, he looked at dust, he breathed his spirit into that dust, and in doing that, he was marrying heaven and earth. And all throughout scripture, God is developing this relationship between heaven and earth. And it takes a bit of time. And so we see that in Hebrews chapter 8, we're told, as God took Moses up on the mountain in Sinai, he descended in a fire and in smoke. And he showed him how to build this tabernacle, which spoke of God. Okay, in every little detail. God's purpose has always been to unite heaven and earth. And this is what he's doing here. He's creating a world in Genesis where he's going to dwell. He's going to tabernacle. And then the tabernacle, for those of you who don't know, becomes the temple. The tabernacle was a temporary place for God to dwell as they traversed the wilderness. And then it was folded up, put inside the temple. And the temple was built as a more permanent structure, speaking of Jesus, and it was there on the same ridge that Jesus Christ died on Mount Calvary. There's so many beautiful details to this story. And you see, and in Adam and Eve, what God was doing was setting up his image in this world. And he does the same with you and I. We are his ambassadors. We are making the invisible God visible. We are in the image of a family, of a triune fellowship with one another. So we are very social creatures. We need this. We come here and we gather around what's called the fire of God. In this tabernacle was this pillar of fire. And you are either gathering as a community around the fire of God or strange fire. And so we come here. And what happens is, is we lift our praises and prayers to God. He calls those things uh, incense. 
and its glory arising from God's people from this place. And then God's glory, we're told, descends down and meets our glory, glory to glory, and we change from glory to greater glory. As we look into the face of Jesus Christ, we become new creatures. So we're going to see that the fire of God, the power of God, the transforming power of God's fire, and the transforming power of his smile. We're going to see that God's smile will transform people. And we can see a beginning of this when we come to the wedding of Cana. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. So now we're going to get serious. Here we go. So what does God do? He makes man in in his image. And he plants two trees in the Garden of Eden. It's a garden sanctuary. The Bible starts with a marriage and ends with a marriage, both in a garden. The Bible's all about God marrying us. All about finding a bride for himself. He intended for Adam to be part of his bride. He was supposed to be a priest of the earth to show the earth, to show all creatures in the universe what God was like. And so he planted two trees, the tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he was supposed to rule over the earth as he got to know God. But Adam was new. He was immature. And Adam couldn't wait. So he essentially seized God's authority. He failed and he decided he was going to become God. That's why we have such a mess in the world today. Because we decide we want to be God, you see. Uh, The whole world turned into a graveyard, okay? And so remember Eden. All things flowed from Eden. All those four rivers, it was a high place. If you'll study it through, the water flowed down from Eden. All life flowed from Eden. It was a raised altar, if you would, to God. You see, and Adam was supposed to be the priest at that altar and then growing in the Lord and showing people uh, what the Lord was all about. He wants that relationship with us. Now, here's the thing. To be a God of love, you had to have someone to love before eternity. Our God is a trinity. We have Father, Son, Spirit. And other gods are not love. They're not loved because they needed something to make something to love. Our God is a God that was loved from eternity past, always giving itself over, always giving himself over, you see. Allah had no God to love, no object to love. He had to make an object to love. And so our God defines himself with this love. And he will frequently talk about his fire and the the face of Jesus Christ transforming his believers as we look at the reality of Christ and change from glory to glory. So this is a self-lowering Trinity love. The Son stepped off the highest place in the universe to join us in our suffering. That's love. And it goes deeper than this. Okay, John is in his epistle referring this to this says this. Will you look at this? Behold, what foreign love this is. This is love from another world that God would breathe life into dust, that the dust would rebel and torture and kill their creator. And then he comes and dies. This is not love that man understands. It's love from another world. And when you preach to people who aren't inspired by the Spirit of God, it goes right over their head, doesn't it? You keep thinking, if I keep explaining this, no. 
as long as they don't have the Spirit of God, they never understand. And so you got to pray for people, you see? And so this love is a much higher love than we understand. And so the Spirit hovers over the darkest things in, in creation and in real life. It can be seen as a prototype of God's self-offering, the lowest, most non-existent thing God sheds his life for a responseless void. And Paul tells us that that's what our souls were. We were dead in trespasses and sin, and God stooped to us, and he breathed us alive. He showed us life in the face of Jesus Christ, you see. And, and he said, at some point in our lives, let there be light to your soul, which was dark and was void and responseless, and then we became new creations. Light was the first thing, eternal goodness. Just think about it with uh, three syllables. Three syllables he made the universe. Let there be light. Oh, that's four. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to catch up on my fraggle rock. <laughs> but the whole point is, is, is heaven was structured. It was beautiful, it was radiant, it was populated and bright, and God deliberately makes the earth without structure, unpopulated and dark. He made it unlike heaven, and then made it more like heaven every day. He just increased it and increased it, and he's doing it now with these people here in this audience. He is. He brings us, we come, we ascend to God, we come into the sanctuary, we get filled with light, and God teaches us a little bit more about himself, and then we go out into the dark world, and we heavenize it. We share the light that God has given to us. And so, so history is rushing towards thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In the first three days of creation, God moves from the highest radiant light to the darkest seas, and he impresses his image upon the earth through Adam and Eve, and now us. He sends us, made in his image, into the world to heavenize it. You become co-creators with God. Okay? So we labor towards the ultimate glory. We're doing it now. And all of our earthly endeavors and relationships. You might think of, say, somebody you really want to give a good Christmas present to. Say, a pastor. And, uh, you know, heavenize earth a little bit. God knows I'm starving up here. I mean, I'm starving. I went to the, the Wegmans the other day, and I said hi to this woman that was a little uh, challenged. And she looked at me, she says, hello, Santa. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. You laugh. I got uh, anyway. Uh, where was I? Okay, tell a bad joke, then do this, okay. And so that's what we do. We, we, we come and we rehearse this to one another. You'll see the Psalms, David is preaching to his soul all the time. Soul, why are you down? Why are you getting yourself down? You got to preach to your soul every day. Have you realized that? That world out there is dark, and it's getting darker, and it's getting darker, and it's getting darker. And, uh, you know, I mean... You know, history's moving forward, and it's moving towards his ultimate purpose. And so as we look at this, he says, look, this ultimate meaning of the universe, this logos, has tabernacled with us. For unto us 
A child is born, a son is given, Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God. And so Yahweh first creates, we'll call him Yahweh, that comes from a tetragram in the Old Testament, Y-H-W-H, the, the most likely pronunciation is Yahweh, so I'm going to call him Yahweh. Uh, uh, that is not uh, Yi, or whatever his name is now, you know, he's not a rapper. And so uh, he creates the universe as a house to dwell in, and it says, Moses, here's how I want you to build this tabernacle. I want you to build it just as it expresses heaven, and it will signify or mimic the entire creation. And we'll get into that with our picture in just a little bit. But you'll notice what he does. He incorporates from every zone of creation all of nature in its rawest form. It has animal skins. It has, uh, you know, from the sea, from the land. It uses things from the air. All of these things in this tabernacle because God didn't just come to die for mankind who caused this fall. He came to die for the entire creation. And so he tells them, I want you to make something that looks like the pattern in heaven, what I intend for earth. I want you to build something that looks like me as king on the throne, above the heavens, and then the earth below. Because I'm going to heavenize even creation. I'm going to glorify creation, okay? And so uh, along these lines, it's interesting. I, I think I've uh, read this before, but there was a guy by the name of... Uh, Frederick Beekner. And Frederick Beekner, he was a theologian. He talks about a trip he made the, to SeaWorld. Any of you ever been to SeaWorld? Okay. Did you like it? They don't let you do that anymore, will they? I thought they, I thought they called it cruelty to fish or something like They don't swim in them? Oh, well. Well, there you go again. They're ruining everything, aren't they? So he recounts a story of the time when he, his uh, wife and his 20-year-old daughter go, and they had these five or six killer whales just swimming around, and they're having a ball. They're playing like children. They're dancing. They're happy. They're spewing through the spout hole and just spewing on people and all this kind of stuff, you know. And he goes on to say that the delight of the crowd appeared only unmatched but what, by what seemed to be the delight of the performing whales. It was the whole of creation, man, woman, beast, sun, water, earth, sky, and maybe God himself. We were caught up in a dance of unimaginable beauty, a dance of unmitigated joy. Now, in Proverbs 13, we're told that Jesus is personified as wisdom, being with God. And when they created the Isaac, they laughed. It was a dancing, laughing, joyful creation coming from God. Okay, that's taking place there. And then uh, what's happening in this whole situation, you know, he describes it as a dance of God, that God has invited us into that dance, that family, that joyfulness, unmitigated delight. But he says this, I'm watching this beautiful show and I start to cry. And I went over to look at my wife to just see, like, why am I crying? She's crying. And look over at his daughter, she's crying. And they just couldn't understand what was going on. And later on, he speaks at a, a pastor's college and he recounts that story. A pastor came up to him and said, read these notes from my last sermon. 
He shared the same experience years later when he went to SeaWorld. He said, my wife and I, my daughter, we were just crying. It was unexplicable. He said he suddenly discovered that her eyes were filled, filled with tears. And what happened was we, we caught a glimpse of the, the peaceful kingdom that was meant to be. And it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. And we turn on the news and we want to see harmony. We want to see love. And we see hatred. And we see everything that the world was not meant to be. And what they saw in that all too brief vision of what was meant to be and was not broke their hearts. And I think that that's what the human soul experiences on a regular basis. If you want to get depressed, turn on the news. You know, it's just amazing. And so, you know, we, we'll travel down there now, and we're going to go to the wedding feast of Cana in John chapter 2. You don't have to go there. You know what happens. Jesus shows up. They run out of wine. Right? And Mary says, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Jesus says, not up to you. I got to do what my father tells me to do. He changes common foot washing water into the best wine they ever tasted. Now, that was a party. <laughs> it was like six stone pots, 20, 30 gallons. And I'm telling you, I think Jesus enjoyed a good buzz every now and then. It just kind of seemed that way. I mean, you just don't drink grape juice and say, oh, it's the best wine I ever had. Hey, you know. And so, well, that's what Tara's excuse is every night. But anyway, uh, but the whole story is Jesus, Jesus searching for a bride. The whole Bible is him searching for a bride. And John runs this theme throughout this gospel, and it bubbles under the surface. And, and he says, this was the first demonstration of Jesus's glory, that he would turn what is common into heavenly, beautiful, joyful, eternal thing. And so he paints here a, a fairy tale picture of a prince searching for a bride who is under oppression, you see, outcast of society. And who does he go to? Moral people? No, he said, you think you're healthy. I'm going to the sick. I'm going to the plant holt's house. <laughs> he went to the lowest of the low, the tax collectors, the, the, the lepers, uh, the Pharisees, you know, and he, and, and he goes to them, and, and it was his first miracle demonstrating his glory. He's revealing himself. He's turning himself inside out. This is glory. This is glory that I would go. And when we see him at the wedding feast of the Lamb, at the consummation of history, he remains the Lamb that suffered and died for his bride. Jesus entered his bride's world, and he died there. He could have gone anywhere, but he entered her suffering and suffered with her, even though she was an adulterous wife. It was the invisible God being made visible. And if, you know, remember Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so it's interesting. Here's a picture of Jesus, right? There's common foot washing water. And Alexander Pope, who was a he was a theologian, 1600s. He describes it like this. The conscious water transformed in the face of the master. The conscious water transformed in the face of the master. There it is in Revelation. The wedding feast of the Lamb. He holds on to this title. 
There is brilliant glory all around this lamb, all around the throne. There's angelic creatures singing, seraphim, cherubim, all of these things. And, 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 but the highest glory emanates from the bleeding wounds that purchased his bride. The wedding feast is a coming home party. I'm ready. God knows I filled up to get there. <laughs> And, and when Jesus said, be filled, I'm an obedient servant of his. Uh, but it's, it, as we look at these things, he takes his bride by the hand and leads her home to his father's house. Right? So he goes from this wedding. He's going to go to the temple now, which is the honeymoon palace for God and his bride. And he's going to freak out because they're ruining his honeymoon palace. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again so that you may be where I am also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he comes up to his potential bride, and he says, follow me. Put your nets down, you follow me. You're going to be my bride. Like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that, you know. You put the net down, you follow him here. And, and um, how many of you found out that when you walk with God, it's an adventure? <laughs> Nothing boring about it, right? There were fights everywhere Jesus went, everywhere. There were riots. There were demoniacs. We got a few in here, you know who you are. Uh, you know, we had people trying to kill him, throw him in jail, all of these things here. He just walks up to his bride and says, come on, you're committing yourself to an adventure. You don't realize how much of an adventure yet. And it's quite an adventure. And I would never choose the adventure that God has taken me through. I'll tell you that right now. The reason I haven't taught here is because for three years I've been so sick. And uh, I'm still mentally unbalanced, but I'm a little bit physically healthy. And, and so you're, you're committing yourself to an adventure when you walk with God. There are certain things you have to establish ahead of time. This is not going to be a cakewalk. You're in a fight. The world hates the God that is living within you. The world wants to crucify the God that is living within you. The most persecuted people on the planet and in America right now are becoming Christians. So if you don't realize you're in for a fight, you better wake up or you're going to quit. You're going to quit. I would never choose the things that God has done to me. You see, he's very unpredictable. When you walk with God, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Even when good things happen, don't fall for it. He goes, he, he, he fills 15 or 5,000 people with bread and fish from two Pop-Tarts and a fish stick. Right? He does this, and they're like, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to make you king. And Jesus is like, get in the boat. Let's go across the pond. And they're like, why? We're just going to make you king? He's like, no, no. They want to make me king of bread. They want me to give them stuff. They're not looking at me the right way. It's confusing. It can be very confusing, even the best things, you see. And so, uh, you know, Abraham was an adventurer, right? Noah was an adventurer. Uh, uh, Paul was an adventurer. Listen, but the point is this, is that with David would, would not be David without Saul's and giants and betrayal. And you wouldn't be who you were without your Saul's and giants and betrayals. You see? 
And, and what, what happens is, is that God will send you a Saul to drive out the Saul that is in you. He will introduce you to the ugliest side of yourself, let there be light, through people you hate and people who hate you because he is a fire that transforms us. When people say, this is the God of my understanding, you're in trouble because he is a God you will never understand until you get there. And like fire, you don't change fire. Fire changes you. And God is a consuming fire. And he will change what needs to be changed. If you don't believe me, stick your hand in a fire sometime. See what changes, your hand or the fire. It was a little sick, wasn't it? And you laughed at it. That's not right. <laughs> Listen, faith is an adventure. When we first started this church, did I say fussed? When fussed started this church, uh, 37, 38 years, I don't know how long ago it was. I was in the 1800s sometime. <laughs> Uh, the people that God brought. I was like, are you trying to punish me? I mean, it looked like a Star Wars barroom scene. We had the strangest creatures show up. Nothing's changed, but, uh, but it's an adventure. And you don't know if you're going to build an ark like Noah and be a hero or get sawn in two like Isaac. You know, like Isaac, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, Jesus said the truth shall set you free. Well, try it out sometime. Just try sharing the truth in this culture today. You're going to have all kinds of trouble gather around you. It got Isaiah sawn in two. And this was a man that God took up into the throne room of God. And by the way, when this happens, it was Rome being established at that time in history. But God doesn't care about that. He's like, no, this is, I'm the centerpiece of everything that's happening here, you see? And when he takes him up in the room, remember our God is a consuming fire, he shows him the throne room of God, which is the entire universe. And the train of God's robe fills the universe. And there are these seraphim hovering around him, and they're called fiery creatures. They're angelic creatures. And they're just looking, and every time they talk, it shakes the entire universe. And it's the picture of the temple. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. There's nothing like this. That's what it means. This is other. There's creator and anything else. This is, they covered their faces because the radiance was too much. And they covered their feet, I think, because of the creatureliness of, of it all. You know, the feet were touching what is, you know, unclean and all of these things here. Our God is a consuming fire. And when, when Isaiah saw that, he said, I'm falling apart. <laughs> this is undoing me. And he was the holiest man in the land at the time. God is pure, he is perfect, and he will use his fire to make us into his image. Don't try and change him. When God puts on the wrestling suit, get in the pin position. Just lay down and get in the pin position. You know, when you walk in faith, you have to determine certain things ahead of time. I will let no thing move me. This is worth Anything the world has to offer me, I'm not budging. You need focus. You need to press forward for the prize that God has for you here. And you know, it, 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 you're going to be surprised where God will take you. I mean, think about it. Here's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. 
Holy Spirit falls on him, baptizes him. The father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Any of you have that happen? Of course not. And then what did he do with him? I would think, hey, I'm going to be on the news. I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. He drives him into the wilderness for 40 years to be tempted by the devil. Now, if he did that to his son, are you going to complain when you get a flat tire? Don't be surprised. when, Yeah, Frank's shaking his head. Yeah, we will. Because that's what we do. And so Jesus comes to the temple. And in John chapter 2, verse 13, it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found them selling sheep and oxen, all that stuff. He drove them out. You know what happens. He took a whip. He overturned the tables and all these things, you see. And, and, and so as we look at this thing, you have to understand God is a jealous God. They were defiling the temple, which spoke of God, which spoke of Jesus. It was the honeymoon temple. And here he brings his bride into the honeymoon temple, and they're defiling it because they're just using God to make money. Sound familiar to anybody? You don't see any of that on TV, do you? No, it's constant, and it really made it angry. But you see, God is jealous. You know why? Jealousy comes from losing what belongs to you. And this is the story. The father owned the son, and the son owned the father. And when the father is insulted, the son takes up his cause. And he flips out, and he just totally wipes out the most holy place in the world. It's the story of the jilted love of Yahweh. You see? The, the temple, this place here. And remember these stones, as John mentioned, I was that last time you talked, John? Talking about the stones. I think John was stoned. But still, he was talking about the stones. And here we are, these living stones in here. He's putting his temple together. He's putting this temple together. And, and this place is about knowing him and loving him and ascending glory from us up to the throne of God. Okay? Now, this is what I want you to see. It deals with the whole universe. Now, you can take your, your pictures. We have a picture of the tabernacle, and we have a picture of the ark. First thing we'll look at is the tabernacle, okay? It is a picture horizontally of creation, the entire universe. Yeah, that's the bottom picture there. My God, Frank, is that you having a barbecue? <laughs> okay, you see the outer court there. That's the big, like, open designation that speaks of the earth. As the high priest who would represent Jesus would go in towards the holy place, he would go through a veil, which spoke of the heavens. And then he would go into the holy place where there would be the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the king of Israel's throne, Yahweh. And it would be made of, uh, you can see what the throne looks like in the top picture, that's the Ark of the Covenant. So you have there a horizontal picture of Jesus, the high priest, coming from the world after he's descended, going through the veil, which is heaven, and into the presence of the king. And what's interesting about this is that the high priest would wear gems over his chest, which represented his people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were frozen bits of rainbow. So you had this rainbow coming in through the cloud demonstrating God's people, you and I, over God's heart as precious gems. 
We have a rainbow in a cloud, and it, 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 it stirs up the imagination, mimicking the post-Diluvian flood, right? When there was a rainbow, right? And God hung up his, his warrior bow against his people. So the Ark of the Covenant is a vertical picture of the same thing. You see the chest below there? That had the manna, it had the law, and it had the uh, Aaron's staff. It was God's uh, gift to the world. It was his wisdom, his law. It was his life, his manna. And it was his wise, loving authority, the rod of Aaron. Do you see how this is all planned out by God? He, he makes these pictures. He makes these pictures. Don't miss it because there's such nuanced information in these things here. Okay? What's interesting is if you'll check it out one time in Exodus uh, chapter 24, you'll see that God says, Moses, come on up here. Calls him up on Mount Sinai. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments. And they show God with a blue sapphire clear pavement under his feet. And it was a picture of God looking down through the heavens at his people. And he said, I'm going to give you. He said, you guys eat. We're going to have communion. And I'm going to give Moses instructions for this tabernacle and this ark, you see. So we're priceless gems. We are, we, 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 we are rainbows depicting God's people circling around his throne. This is very very involved, these pictures here. I can't tell you half the stuff that I found. I, I, this is what I did on my summer three-year vacation. This is the kind of stuff I've been studying, you see. And here's a picture of God coming in, making us part of the beauty of heaven, you see. And, and, and uh, just as precious stones were once animated dust, we will glitter with Yahweh's beauty. With Yahweh's glory. Now, here's what's interesting about this whole thing. The word for mercy that's being used here for mercy seat and everything is actually a, not well translated. It, it's the Hebrew word racham. And it's, it pictures a mother's love for the baby. And it's the face of the mother looking down at the baby in tremendous love. And the baby looking back. It's called racham. We change, not just by the fire of God, but by his shining face. We need both. And we come here to receive both. You see, community gathers around fire. You see, and what's interesting is the whole tabernacle, the whole temple, it was made inside of liquid fire, which is gold in the scripture. It was anointed or no, solid fire. It was anointed with oil, which is liquid fire in the Bible. So you have liquid fire of God shining off the solid fire of God, radiating the fire of God. And then uh, the whole tabernacle was anointed with olive oil. And then you had, the, of course, the, the menorah with the, with the liquid fire. All of these things. Remember when Moses came to the burning bush? We're almost done. It was on fire. It was a picture of Israel burning, but not burning up, right? It was a picture of Jesus Christ as well. You can't stop looking at fire. It's always changing. It doesn't have a storyline, but that's God. It's always new. It's always changing. A beautiful picture doesn't have the same power after a while. 
Some of you women are just absolutely gorgeous. I'm not going to go there. It just wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but that bush was a thorn bush. And those thorns came became because the first Adam wanted to play God. Well, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, became that burning thorn bush, the fire of God. And he was naked on the cross, and the only thing he wore was a symbol of man's curse. So you have all of these things. And then, of course, God's fire falls down on that thorn bush. Speaking of the beauty of God, we are not content, this is C.S. Lewis, just to see beauty. We want something so much beyond words to the infinite beyondness of the gospel. We want to pass into it. We want to be one with it. We want to experience it. We want to be inside the song. We want to be inside the tune. We want to be swallowed up in that dance and the glory to be received into uh, this dance. And, and, and we want to receive it into ourselves and bathe in it. To be inside the inner circle of the universe, we've been invited into the joyful, creating dance of God. All right, so you work at a place where everybody hates you because you have God's fire in you. Who cares? You've been invited into the inner chambers of the universe. Who needs the cool people? You're all cool, of course, but you know what I mean. And so here, this is all unfolding here. And remember what he says, and, and here's where we close. He says in um, the cleansing of the tire, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And so God links prayer with glory ascending to God. You see, God refers to prayer as a fragrance. The incense burning in the temple was a sweet aroma to God for shadowing the world being turned into an, amor, uh, an a, uh, aromatic glory by the fire of God. The incense rises to God and glory meets glory. The fire of God and the smile of God transform us. And that's what we've come here for today. Prayer is not simply throwing words up to a distant God. Prayers are an echo of Yahweh always present in our prayers, you see? And after that, the high priest... He would apply the blood on the mercy seat, wearing us over his heart as precious gems, glorified by God, once dirt. He would come out from God's throne on the day of Yom Kippur, having been scrutinized at the king's throne room, right? He says this. This is what Aaron the high priest says. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and lift up his countenance and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Now we're called to go out and heavenize the earth because what manner of love has been given to us that we should be called the sons of God. We love you, Father. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for attentive minds and open hearts. We know that you plowed us first. 
We love you, Father. Keep us strong in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the word and join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.